Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. Today hosted by all the great ones. We have Ed P, Ed M, Mike P, and a, I hope it's not a cameo appearance. I hope it's more of a regular visit by Daniel from the UK. Um, Mike, since I promised to put the pressure on you, you can go ahead and do the honors. <laughs> you really are putting the pressure on me here. No, Daniel has a, a new book about Bill Gates, and I thought we should just start off with that by plugging it. And, um, you know, I think Daniel's a, one of the most fantastic writers that that I that I've come across. And if you're not subscribing to Daniel's Substack while you're at it, you should be, Jumplandia. But uh, Daniel, please tell us about the book. Yeah, well, the, the book's a discussion of Bill Gates and his impact on global policy. So... It covers everything from um, polio vaccinations in India through to obviously um, the push during COVID for mass vaccination with mRNA. mRNA. Um, but, it, but it also goes into things like his years at Microsoft, the sort of business practices that were somewhat dubious there. Um, I, I talk about the Epstein allegations uh, and his connections with Epstein, and um, and really there isn't anything that that I don't cover um, because of the constraints of space. I didn't have as much time as I wanted to to cover everything on COVID because that would be a whole separate book of its own. But the the general gist is that the title is Gates of Hell: um, Why Bill, Bill Gates is the most dangerous man in the world. Um, but I'm not, um, I try to be balanced in the sense that I looked at sources in favour of him as well as sources that that consider him a psychopath, essentially. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've tried to kind of navigate the two and argue that that really it doesn't matter whether he intends harm from what he's doing. The impacts of the policies he supports and the the general run of ideas that that he is massively influencing across the globe mm -hmm. um, are ones that will have uh, very negative effects and could have disastrous ones, um, even to the level of existential threat. Um, you know, when you think about geo geoengineering projects um, that Bill Gates is backing, or when you think about uh, completely radical changes of the entire food supply system and you know dietary requirements of everybody on the planet um these are things which are so vast in their their application that they automatically lead to potentially huge problems um and i don't think bill gates is someone who's aware of those problems whatsoever so to say uh daniel that you come to bury him not to praise him yes yeah yeah um I mean, now, like I say, uh, there's certain things, you know, I, I'm not someone who comes out and says, I definitely know he's a psychopath who intends to kill off loads of people, because I, I don't think you can really know that for sure unless you have documentary evidence of it. And he's not going to write it down and say, this is my plan. Um, and you can't know that for sure unless you're you're kind of inside the man's head, which I'm not. Um but what you can know is that the policies he has supported have already had huge harms on ordinary people. 
and millions of ordinary people. You know, there's uh, um, uh, harms in, in India from his policies and there's harms in Africa and there's harms in, in the United States. Everywhere is affected by the things that he supported uh, and that he's pushing. Um, so it doesn't really matter whether it's intentional harm or accidental harm. The scale on which he's operating and the lack of accountability for his actions is the issue. So I see Amazon is saying it's currently unavailable. Yeah, I've, I've been told by the, the publisher that um, there's a delay in the US. I know it's available now on Amazon in the UK, um, but the publisher has told me that it's, it's quite common for there to be a 72-hour delay. Um, from when uh, it's officially linked and uh, to when it's fully working. And are you um, going to have an audio book? Uh, I, there's not one planned at the moment. Um, it's something that I, I should look into. I like to say, Daniel, that there's a point where malice and stupidity merge. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I think this applies to a lot of the, the things that, not just Gates, but transnational bodies are pushing for example you know like uh like the world health organization or like uh, um you know the un generally um or the eu uh lots of these bodies are pushing things which are incredibly radical uh and a lot of people still don't realize how radical these things that are that are being proposed and being enacted are and uh when you have vast projects that affect hundreds of millions of people across multiple countries, the potential risks are enormous. Um, and there's very little oversight of any of this stuff. There's nobody demurring in government or in mainstream parties. So all that kind of normal democratic accountability that we would expect is not there. Um, and especially when policies are pushed through things like charitable foundations, um, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation or the Gates Foundation. These aren't held to account in the same way as a private company is. And they're not held to account uh, even by the kind of minimal levels by which a national government is by its citizens voting every four years. You know, the, the, um, the Gates Foundation, for instance, supplies between 11 and 13 percent of the WHO's funding. Um, and that gives it enormous influence over the World Health Organization at a time when national governments want to give complete power to the World Health Organization over any future pandemics. And that means lockdowns, it means masks, it, it means um, mandatory vaccination, all the policies that failed the last time uh, and that were dangerous and uh, in many cases despicable the last time. Um, and it's all unaccountable. It's all anti-democratic. It's all something that ordinary people have no say over. Um, and this is how Bill Gates operates. And, you know, um, much of the global response to COVID was conducted by Bill Gates ringing up national leaders and giving them his thoughts and his ideas on what should happen next. Uh, and through his influence via the, via the Gates Foundation and via the World Health Organization. Um, and these are things which, which you know, affected millions upon millions of lives. Half the population of the planet was injected with something which um, increasingly looks dangerous and which um, early 
um, trial data showed was dangerous, but they went ahead with it. Um, and we're more and more encounter the consequences, as we are, with, I believe, with um, excess death rates. So there is a sort of a megalomania um, that uh, Gates has that I think, you know, Klaus Schwab and some of the other sort of billionaires who... Uh, Globalists. Yeah, they. I think, you know, I think they think that because they've made billions of dollars, um, they can do anything. And I, it's a sort of a, a lack of humility, um, hubris, megalomania, uh, the idea that you can change the weather, that sort of thing. Um, well, Gates, Gates, but Bill Gates, Gates is, you know, Gates's real thing has been that he wants to save lives through vaccines. And he has invested uh, you know billions and billions of dollars in uh, in generating drugs that he calls vaccines and injecting them into people in Africa. Um, and a lot of that has uh, not gone well. I think uh, you know RFK Jr.'s book The Real Anthony Fauci has a whole section on Gates. Um, I haven't read your book yet, uh, but um, the You'll be getting an autographed copy soon, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, one of these days, exactly. <laughs> the RFK Jr. book section on Bill Gates um, presents a guy who is a complete sociopath megalomaniac um, and whose who's, uh, inability to look past his own biases inability to, to look objectively at various situations, I, I think caused by the fact that he has essentially infinite amount of money, right? So he, he can get whatever he wants. I think this is, this has created a, a, you know, essentially a, a crazy person. And, um, well, I think, and he just well, buys yeah. whoever he wants. One of the, one of the, the kind of chief characteristics of this person is that, um, you know, Gates has, has, really never known failure um, in terms of, you know, his personal success story and his personal trajectory. And from the from the outset, he came from a privileged background. You know, he had um, uh, very, very influential in political circles, parents. Uh, you know, his, his mother was on the board of um, banks and uh, charitable institutions. And, you know, a lot of his philanthropy follows the kind of concerns and the kind of interests that his mother had. Um, but he talks about having the, um, the, the governor over uh, in his family experience was the governor coming around at breakfast time and then discussing pol uh, policies and his family sort of saying, hey, let's get involved in this. You know, what's, what's stopping us getting involved in this? And that um, that background, that privilege, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a leftist, so I don't automatically dislike people who are rich. Um, but he's never encountered, never been around ordinary people. 
he's, he's never been amongst ordinary Americans at any stage. You know, he went to uh, a, a fee-paying school. Uh, he very quickly made a successful business. That became one of the biggest businesses in the world. His family were rich. Um, he's had very little in terms of encounter with ordinary people except in servant roles. Um, and when he was found in Microsoft, you know, there's this myth of him as a self-made man. But when he was found in Microsoft, he had a one million dollar um, trust fund to fall back on if everything went wrong. You know, if Microsoft was a disaster, he could have just, you know, been rich some other way. Um, so he's got very little understanding of what risk is um, because his personal story is one of continual success. And because he's never encountered the kind of ordinary lives that that deal with risks that that he doesn't have to deal with, um, so I think the um, I, th I think the human race is is fundamentally ill-equipped uh, with um, uh, to understand risk unless they unless they go through like a course in trying to understand it. Uh, there's a number of books on on risk and. Uh, that I've read, and it, it's really a, a cognitive bias with with everyone that they that they underestimate certain risks and overestimate others, and that's kind of you know evolutionary behavior or what do they call it uh, evolutionary psychology. So that's one thing, and it can cause damage to any individual. But when you have you know tens of billions of dollars and are are trying to use it to attempt to influence global policy this inability to, to understand risk becomes a threat not to you or the your loved ones but to uh the whole world and i think that's uh that's something that gates and all of these oligarchs tend to have yeah absolutely and and uh, i mean a lot of people might look at this and say well well why is he more dangerous than someone like soros Who's, who's also using his power and his influence to, to um, change the world radically uh, and in ways that are disastrous. You know, we've seen the, the impact of Soros-funded DAs in the US. Um, but uh, I think the thing about Gates is that, that he is, um, he's built a network that is more pervasive and more widespread than, than that of any of his competing billionaires um you know the soros might might fund a load of da's and mark zuckerberg might interfere in the electoral process in 2020 um and you know fund uh, democrat cities to to effectively rig parts of the electoral process but uh, in both cases they're not acting globally in virtually every country and they're not engaged in virtually every single uh globalist project that there is whereas gates is you know he, he's far more active in that sense uh and he's a bit smarter in how he applies his power as well because he circumvents all the normal normal democratic restraints uh and the others try and do this as well but he's not pumping money into funding you know one particular political party or um you know one candidate who's then going to favor his policies He's not paying for advertising, you know, he's paying for um, control of institutions as vast as the World Health Organization. 
And that's working on a scale greater than that of other billionaires. And he's also organizing other billionaires himself. You know, the Giving Pledge organized a, a, around 200 different billionaires where essentially their wealth became part of his network of wealth because they're pumping their money into projects that he's pointed them towards. So, you know, he, he's he's both smarter and he's more pervasive than some of the other the threats that we face. So, Daniel, what prompted you to, to focus a, a book entirely on Gates? And how long did it actually take you to do all this research? Because it sounds like a lot. Yeah, well, um, it's hard to sort of give a figure on the, the length of the research because I had quite a, a limited time frame for, for writing the book. But I'd already been reading about Gates for years, like most of us, I suppose. Um, so I had a kind of intense period of, a, um, you know, about two months of uh, um, really reading up a, a lot on him, much more than I had done before. Um, and then I fortunately for me, I, I write quite quickly. So the book didn't take that long to produce. Um, but the research is, you know, the accumulation of years really right so i mean are you planning to promote the book right now i mean because this this could I, I could see this really being like huge for you honestly i mean i could see this really taking off because he, he is a bit of a lightning rod figure yeah so are you what, what are your plans and and are you ready uh, if that does happen we're taking i guess the hits that may come with it yeah well i i um um but it's been published by a small publisher post hill press mm -hmm. for an offshoot of bombardier um so it's not got a huge amount of backing behind it you know that neither the publisher nor i can can invest a load of money in a huge marketing campaign or anything like that so um you know, it may sink without trace. I hope it doesn't, but um, uh, it, it's it's word of mouth that I'm relying on primarily um, right. because, you know, I don't have a big budget to invest in marketing and, and neither does the publisher. Mm -hmm. um, so we're hoping that there's interest and we we hope that it spreads. Uh, and, and I do think it's a very important topic because um, it's not just bill gates doing this stuff obviously there's other billionaires as well and there's transnational bodies that that are less and less accountable to uh, in any individual populace anywhere in the world but um he is really you know as you say a lightning rod and and he kind of symbolizes the processes that are happening elsewhere as well as being probably the biggest example of it himself so I do think it's important. And I do think there's, you know, lots of stuff that's raised in the book that, that needs saying. Right. Okay. Well, we, go ahead, go ahead, Stephen. Ready to move on from the book? Yep. Yeah, well, listen, we wish you the best of luck. And I, I'm waiting for that Sean Hannity or Mark Levin interview. Cheers. Yes, yeah, so yeah. am I. In the future. <laughs> <laughs> we do a much better job. Yeah. And we don't repeat ourselves as much. Um <laughs> Ed M, do you want to talk about this Trump case that he lost in New York? I think you read up on it. What? First of all, was it a civil case? Yes. It's civil. So there's nothing criminal involved. But from what I'm understanding, they're going to take away his business licenses or something in New York? Uh, potentially, yes. That, that That's one of the remedies that they're talking about. 
uh, it, it's such a foolhard, foolhardy case on both sides, honestly. Uh, he's accused of defrauding banks and insurance companies, except none of, none of the banks and none of the insurance companies has sued him. None of them thinks that they've been defrauded. So um, I don't get this. How can, I, how can the government uh, sue someone as a third party in a, in a civil case? That's the whole difference between civil and criminal, I thought. The, the government. I mean, you can go after is, somebody. You can go after somebody that, uh, you know, that swindles people on, on a systematic basis. Um, yeah, but can, that's a criminal thing. But there are also uh, how civil how's statutes the, that they can use, and there was a civil stat. There was a civil statute that uh, the executive law in New York uh, allowed them to to go forward on this case. Um, I agree with you that if you've got vic if you don't have a victim that's willing to come forward and sue, I, I think it's ridiculous that the government suddenly has standing to bring that lawsuit. Uh, but on the flip side, if you looked at what Trump's defenses were. They were equally ridiculous. Uh, his his claim. Well, Trump that, is well known for having lawyers who don't know what they're doing. Well, yeah, and they got sanctioned by this judge, um, meaning that they the judge said that it was a frivolous argument that they put forward, and he's punishing them with gigantic fines. I I don't remember what the numbers are, but uh, they're going to be. Big I think it was fines. only like seventy five hundred dollars for the lawyers. Oh, really? I thought that. Yeah. yeah, remembering the potential liability of, of Trump and his people. But um, yes, they, the, the, the lower court and the appellate court have rejected those arguments twice. Um, you know, Trump's main argument was that he had disclaimers on all of his valuations that essentially made them worthless. And he bragged about it. He bragged about it in his deposition saying that, you know, everybody knows it's worthless. Nobody really relies on it, um, which is not a this good- This is for getting loans, right? For valuing his properties, for getting Correct. loans. Getting loans, I understand, and, paying, right? and paying insurance premiums. Well, when I get loans, nobody trusts me as to the valuation of, of uh, my property. That's for sure. When I got a home equity loan on this house, it was definitely- not uh, something that I just wrote down a price and they're like, oh yeah, that sounds reasonable and gave me the loan. They actually sent out a, uh, an appraiser. So I guess if you're rich, this goes back to the Bill Gates discussion. If you're rich, you just write down, um, I'm worth th uh, this amount and the bank just goes, oh, sounds good to me and gives you the loan. I mean, does that make any sense to everybody? I mean, if we want to start talking about lending standards and how banks decide to how to make loans, that's a whole showing all of all, all by itself um see because the thing that hit the news which makes this ridiculous right is that um uh, the one thing that that illustrates the absurdity of the judge's ruling is the um valuation of mar-a-lago trump valued it somewhere between four and a quarter and six hundred million dollars and the uh, the real estate <laughs> the palm beach county Tax assessor, uh, uh, you know, appraised it at eighteen million, between eighteen and twenty-seven. Now, again, it's like twenty house. acres. It, it's like twenty acres on the beach. That's a 
revenue generating property because it's a you know it's a it's a club with and a hotel and a uh you know it's got a golf course it's got the beach it's got pools it's got jacuzzis it's a hotel on the beach in the most exclusive part of West Palm Beach and I'll tell you what if the tax assessor says it's worth 18 million that's great but uh, there is just no way that that kind of property and I'm and I I met people who've been there. It's in pristine condition because one thing Donald Trump does not tolerate in his properties anyway, if not his government, is incompetence. And if that thing isn't worth, you know, at least a quarter of a billion dollars, I would be shocked. And yet the judge is saying, oh, okay, the assessor says it's worth 18 million. So obviously you were lying. I mean, that's just anyone who owns. It's like the judge doesn't know anything about property. Anyone who owns property. Anyone who owns a house knows that the valuation at the tax assessor's office is always a fraction of what the actual value of the property is. Yeah. Yeah. So it happens to be a, a, a big fraction on my uh, part. But yeah, that's the that's the point. And like the only thing in evidence, this is the interesting thing. This is on like page 25 and 26. Um, the only thing that was in evidence was an assessor on one hand. You know the assessment. I mean, and it's not at all clear that uh, that there was any other evidence presented that he under um, that he undervalued uh, Mar-a-Lago. It's except the assessor. So that's on the one hand, and on the other hand, Trump, like, like an idiot, his lawyers have got to be the dumbest things. They they brought in a guy um, who. Uh, quote, this is the judge. This is crazy. Defendants rely on the opinion affidavit of Lawrence Moens, who they purport is, quote, the most accomplished and knowledgeable ultra high net worth real estate broker in Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, who who backed Trump up and said that the the valuations were, quote, appropriate and indeed conservative. And then he the judge again this just shows the it's funny because robert barnes said last night on his podcast that this just shows you how crazily corrupt the new york court system is uh because the judge just poo-poos this guy's uh opinion you know which was an opinion and said well you know the assessor is the expert he must be right trump overvalued it i mean it's it doesn't even pass the smell test Right. So I, again, I looked at this part of it because and, it's and, the and one that's hitting, hitting the news. But just, it's just ridiculous. As a legal proposition, just as a legal proposition, when you have conflicting experts or conflicting testimony, summary judgment is by definition inappropriate, which is what that motion was. Exactly. That's right. It's a summary judgment. So it's like, how, how do you not take testimony? Right. How do you not actually have a hearing on it? So it again, uh, Barnes thinks that probably this will get thrown out in appeals. But given how stupid Trump's lawyers are, um, I have no, I have no confidence that it will be thrown out in. Uh, so what has the government won so far? They've won a finding. Well, they that- they want to disassemble uh, a lot of uh, Trump's New York. Right, but so far, as of today, they just have a finding. Yeah, they've well, got a summary. Seven summary causes judgment. of action. There are seven causes of action in the attorney general's complaint 
They got summary judgment on cause of action one, two through seven are going to trial. So if the clock stopped today, what do they actually have? What has he been actually punished with? Nothing. Well, there's going to be another hearing to determine the extent of the penalty and the of the fine. He's going to be fined a substantial amount of money. Okay. And it's at that point where he appeals it and goes on forever, blah, blah, blah. Well, New York actually has no, I think they... interlocutory appeals. You don't have to wait for the end of the case to bring an appeal. So he probably will appeal it right away. That's my guess. So my only question I, is, I think is that... does this matter to anybody? Is this going to move one person's vote? No. I hope it matters no, to it, it won't move. It won't move <laughs> votes, but that's not the purpose of it, is it? The purpose of it is to... Um, is to you know they want to either get him in prison or they want to um get him get him financially drained um and that is a that is a message i think that's probably not aimed at the voter but is aimed at other billionaires or other people who might have enough money to challenge the the system and its corruption and uh, uh and it's to you know tell those people well if like the Dominion ruling against Fox, it's, uh, you know, it's saying you go against this system, you could lose hundreds of millions of dollars. That's what it's for. So the process is exactly. the they're skinning the cat. They're skinning the cat alive. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. OK, I mean, it's now there. there's a debate. The debate is tonight. Yep. Yes. So yes, now, it's tonight. Right. Is this going to pop up as a way to bash Trump and they're going to just bat it away. What do you think is going to happen with that? Except for Chris Christie, they're all afraid to bring Trump up. Well, Vivek is not afraid to bring right? him up, but Vivek is going to praise him. And Vivek will probably say what an injustice this is. Mm -hmm. Is this a common thing or we nobody even looks at it that people inflate their value? Because I'm a little stuck on the fact that does, you know, do people believe what you say, if I went in for a loan today and said my house is worth $100 million, would they say, OK, like, I'm a little stuck on that, too? No. Well, of course, <laughs> and Trump himself didn't do this, right? I mean, when I got my home equity loan on my house, I walked into the bank. I sat down with the banker. I filled out the forms. I signed where she said to sign, right? And then they did an appraisal. Well, Trump didn't do any of that, right? He has minions who do that sort of stuff. And so what they ended up doing was, of course, they can't get at Trump himself. They, they are acting to disassemble these, um, these LLCs that he have, has in New York. And I think that um, he's moved most of his business dealings out of New York since uh, uh, his presidency, because again, you know, but like, They'll take Trump Tower from them. They'll, they'll, they'll just, and and when they go after his holdings in other states, that's when again, assuming he hires a decent lawyer, that's when they get the other states to say no, especially Florida. It's like no, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. These laws aren't our laws. Well, but that's the thing. Once you get a judgment, the full faith and credit clause requires states to to recognize judgments in other states. So it's going to be hard for Florida not to enforce the judgment. Not impossible, but, but very hard.
But as he has, oh, he can fight it in Florida courts, which aren't as corrupt. I think we should emphasize as well, you know, uh, regardless of how bad Trump's lawyers are, this is, um, you know, this is potentially taking, um, you know, I've seen figures like $250 million bandied about as to what they could take off him um, in response to this. Um, And it's potentially taking away hundreds of millions of of dollars on the basis of no actual crime, uh, no jury ever looking at evidence, uh, no full court process uh, and due process for him. Um, well, no, and, summary judgment is a court process. I mean, and it's saying well, that... Yeah, but it's not, a, it's not a, you know, you shouldn't, as you said, you shouldn't be making summary judgments based on this, you know, and uh, it, it's, again, it's a complete distortion of the law. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, you've got no victim there. You've got a fraud with no no actual fraud exactly. proven. All, all the money that, that he got in loans was repaid, as far as I'm, I'm aware. Well, you know, it's interesting, because I don't know if you guys remember the New Hampshire Six story much, but Liberty Block is a New Hampshire-based organization. And that was the case where they, the FBI and about 10 other alphabets raided early one morning with Bearcats and basically every heavy armed thing they had and blew open the house of a guy selling Bitcoin and all kinds of stuff like that. He still hasn't, several had pled guilty. The main guy behind it, Ian Freeman, who is on Free Talk Live or owns Free Talk Live, we've spoken about him before. For some reason, they keep pushing off his sentencing. But one of his arguments has always been, none of the people you say I defrauded have ever said they were defrauded. And it's very much that parallel argument of where are the victims? You're saying there's victims, but nobody- The victims victims are alleged, the alleged victim is that the bank and the insurance company received lower loan fees and insurance premiums. And that Trump Trump wound up getting a a better deal than than he should have gotten. So he has ill-gotten gains. Right. That's the argument. But when when you make make the government uh, that's politically opposed to a person, the, the the one who has the standing to pursue this rather than any actual victim, uh, it makes the, the rulings against the standings of, uh, say, for example, people who felt that an election was stolen, um, it makes that even more ridiculous and bizarre, doesn't it? Because you're saying that the government can intervene in these cases purely Take a case like Bernie Madoff. Okay. I mean, yes, there were he, he was charged criminally, but just to try and recover the money is a civil action. And I don't think anybody on this panel, I mean, certainly not me, would, would object to the government bringing an action against Bernie Madoff and any transferors that received the money from him to, to recover the money for those victims, would you? That's actually there's no victim here. There's no victim in the Trump case. Yeah, it's not that the, the money there was no def, there was no defrauding of anyone because um, you know it's just a this is like saying say for example you sell your house and you negotiate with someone on the sale of your house and you get what you think is a good deal and they pay um, a rate that's beneficial to you are you then liable for the government saying you defrauded that person? No, you're not because that was that was the deal that you agreed with them. And Trump negotiated deals with these banks 
the the, the banks were happy to accept um, the information he provided. Um, and, you know, the, you can't then go in and say, oh, well, they would have made more money if it had been like this. Because that's the same as saying uh, someone selling their property, um, oh, well, the, the, the buyer might have made more money or the seller might have made more money if these circumstances were different. I'm with you, but I, I'm just saying I think that there are instances where it's OK that the government brings that action to recover the money. Uh, Bernie Madoff swindled rich people, but other other Ponzi guys swindled poor people that don't have the wherewithal to, to bring lawsuits. I think it's OK to do that. Trump's lawyers actually did make the argument that the government didn't have standing to do this. But executive, the executive law that they relied upon specifically says the attorney general has the stand, has standing to bring this kind of case. What does executive law mean in English? It's just a, a bunch of laws. I mean, New York has, you know, you have the, you know, you have the civil practice law and, and, and rules. You have, uh, you know, the education law. You have the estate powers and trust law. You have, there's all sorts of different statutes, you know, the tax law, and they're all in just a separate book. And the executive law just has various, various laws. I'm not an expert on it, but uh, included in the executive law is, powers delegated to the attorney general to bring lawsuits on behalf of the public. And I guess what makes this thing stink more is these are people who like ran for office and bragged for six years that all they want to do in life is get Donald Trump, right? Yeah. I mean, Letitia so, I mean, James, who brought the suit, specifically campaigned on that. Right. Um, personally, very I think alike, even if the attorney right. general has, has standing, I, I don't understand how how he could, how the attorney general should be able to win a case without any testimony from someone defrauded. But the opinion actually discusses that. And, the, and it says this isn't about restitution, which would be giving the money back to the victims, like in the Bernie Madoff example. They said that this is about disgorgement, meaning Trump got ill-gotten gains. And even if you don't have a victim, Trump still shouldn't have gotten those gains and he should be forced to give those gains back. That's to who? The state of New York? That's the thing is there are yes. no victims. Well, would stockholders have standing to say the bank could have made more money? No. Why not? They're the ones who actually lost this supposed huh. money. Really? Because stockholders don't get to sue on behalf of the company, except in some limited circumstances. Right. It's so basically what happens is the people who really lose get nothing. And the people yeah. who didn't lose, i.e. the state, can take what they want. That's what I'm hearing. And of course, this is stuff that probably goes on every single day. Well, that was my next question. Is with, he with the only wealthy. person doing this? I, I could only imagine how many members of Congress <laughs> have deals like this where, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, it's worth that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Right. But only in Jersey. Yeah. Bob. Menendez. OK, Mike, since he threw the, down the gauntlet, <laughs> would you like to talk about your uh, senior senator there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know uh, how much there is to, to add. Obviously, this is the second time he's been indicted. The first time around, there's some people think it wasn't as strong of a case. This time it involves him and his wife, and it sounds like they, they wouldn't have brought this this far if they didn't really have the goods on him. Um, so obviously, there was a gentleman that was, um, uh, he, I forget if he was uh, under indictment, Right. Was he looking at jail time? The guy that he was 
uh, alleged to have helped. Um, the Egyptian people? Yeah, I, I, I forget the guy's name that that uh, is involved in all this. But apparently Menendez and his wife were looking to help the guy and accepting gold bars and God only knows what else. To I guess uh, what's most interesting to me is who's coming out for him to resign, who's not. Yeah. Quick story that McCarthy said he should resign until somebody said, what about George Santos? And, you know, again, you know, whose ox is being gored, blah, blah, well, blah. I think that it, it's interesting because the Republicans now have incentive to keep him around. Right. And the Democrats are clearly uh, signaling that th they're ready to throw him overboard this time. That, that, that's really kind of what I see. Menendez, Menendez was accused about 10 years ago of going to the Dominican Republic with young girls for tourist, tourist sex with underage, um, you know, I don't know whether the boys or girls. And there was substantial evidence of that. He's a Democrat. Nothing ever it was happened. underage girls. Republicans yeah. go after yeah. underage boys. Republicans, <laughs> underage boys. Yeah, yeah. Of course. So, Ed, Ed, you just missed your chance to knock libertarians. I know. Libertarians underage, underage everybody. Um, yeah. So the Menendez has been a very unsavory character for many, many years. They didn't prosecute him for the Dominican Republic stuff. Um, I, I think I I think they prosecuted him this time because one it was so egregious, but also two they need to have a democratic scalp to show the public that all of this weaponization of the DOJ and partisanship and the FBI and all of that is nonsense. Because see, he here we. Um, indicted a Democratic senator in solid Democratic state with a Democratic governor who could replace him with another Democratic senator if he chooses to quit. And he's not going to choose to quit. I think we all, uh, well, I think we all understand. You know, the governor, I, I, I think we all understand that he shouldn't quit, right? Yeah, but I mean, it, it was Al Franken who quit. He did quit, right. And they realized that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, now, I, I don't know whether what Al, it was the middle of the Me Too thing. I don't know what Al Franken did was necessarily quittable. It was stupid, but it was, um, you know, he's a comedian, right? So he's trying to be funny. But he quit and the Democrats were harmed by that. And I think they have decided that no more quitting. So I, I, I don't think. That's what, who was the guy that the uh, New York Republican who uh, lied about his, uh, what was his name again? Santos. Santos. Santos is not going to quit. Menendez is not going to quit. Nobody's going to quit. It's, it, we're, not, we're past quitting now. Right, because they I mean, Clinton they didn't quit and quit. he won. Yeah. I mean, you can hang on forever until it dies down and figure that's going to happen unless you've made enemies who figure they can replace you with somebody, you know, just as good. I mean, lots of people are mentioning that he has the same position in the Senate that Biden had. Does anybody care? Probably not. But so we're basically in agreement. He's not going to quit. Because why should he? And I yeah, don't think he necessarily should I mean, quit. It looks bad, right? Listen. It's like that a Congressman Jefferson who had like $100,000 
in cold cash, cash in his freezer. Cold cash, yeah. Yeah, cold cash. Yeah, that was Rush I mean, Limbaugh. I love that one. He, he, and, uh, he got reelected in New Jersey with a last indictment over his head. And the people of New Jersey didn't care. So why should he have any reason to think beyond the fact that he 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 could end up in, in jail or whatever for, for this? That that he wouldn't be reelected again, and, and, and you want to talk about the ego and the narcissism and the self interest, like, and I would say even like the immaturity almost like that oozes out of this guy. I mean, it's all about about enriching himself. He doesn't, he doesn't care. Well, I mean, why should he not do what he's doing? No, there's no reason for him not to. Right. I mean, I mean he lost his chairmanship. And, and, so I guess that there's a prayer for that. But And the voters, I mean, well over half the voters, just look at the letter next to the guy's name or woman's name. They don't, they don't look at the name. So, I mean, I mean, why should he quit? I mean, look at the other clown from Pennsylvania. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I can't believe they, they changed the dress code for this guy so he can walk, you know, stumble in with a, a hoodie. I mean, it's just, it's pathetic. Better are, we, are we pro dress codes? Yeah. Sorry? Are we pro dress codes? Yes. Yeah. I, I think if you're a member of the U.S. Senate, you could put a freaking suit on. Don't they get a clothing? I'm sitting here in a t-shirt. That's the least you can do. Don't they get a clothing allowance? (laughs) Do they? they Really? I think so. The the um in the UK they get clothing allowances. I I guess at least he's saving taxpayers money then if he's shopping at Old Navy instead of uh some wonderful yeah Brooks Brothers. (laughs) What a unbelievable. I mean, I mean, honestly, the, the best the, thing the was point of a, the point of a dress code is to say that professional standards apply. And what? the point of destroying a dress code is to say that um, professional standards are whatever we say they are, not not according to some traditional value set by uh, wider society. But, you know, we will dress as we please as a naked reflection of our power. Yeah, I mean, there are one or two Democrats not happy about it, supposedly. Uh, I don't well, know. I'm just glad the Liberty Block doesn't have one. A dress code? Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how do you know? No one's ever tried to... Uh, <laughs> to but like nightclubs it? have a dress code, you know? Uh, if any of those still exist. I know that they're a very old-fashioned thing themselves now. But, you know, I like mean, you, you, you had to... You know, I can remember going out as a teenager and being turned away at doors because of, you know, my shoes not being good enough or whatever. Um, It's, it's, you know, places of employment generally have dress codes. Um, Listen, I mean, the expectations, and we talked about this a little bit over the Boobert thing last week, is even on the right, the, the standards and the expectations are now a lot lower. So in a way, yeah, you probably should be a little bit more upset about the Boobert thing than the way some guy dresses, you know. Oh, no, not, in, not in at all. Senate. Not at all. But, I think we should be exactly like the other side and completely. Well, I, listen, 
listen, I get that part of it, but it's just, you know, I mean, again, they're, I I would, I'd be happier if they all wore hoodies and balanced the budget than wore suits and do what they do, to put it that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing is far more substantial than the other there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the next thing is just we're going to have a senator with the Mike T- Tyson tattoo on his face. So I, I don't. Well, you know, the next thing, the next thing will be the, you know, the six foot four um, bearded, uh, muscular, fat bellied um, <laughs> guy dressed as a girl um, in a oh, little right. peep outfit. Yeah. That, that's where this is going. And, and that's what it's for. Mm hmm. Mean, mean like the Surgeon General and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, it will be the the senator uh, addressing the floor mm-hmm. in, with a um, sadomasochistic puppy mask on. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's that's where it's, it's stuff going. That, stuff that people used well, to go to the to the circus to see the freaks. You know, um, so you assume just, like in just, school, just turn on C-SPAN and I don't think you're allowed to use that show. word at all anymore. The F word. Uh, well, you know what? I, sidetracked a little bit. There's a famous movie from probably nearly a century a century ago called Freaks, and it actually is a really really good movie if you ever want to check. Yeah, I don't it. think that's a politically correct word anymore. Well, I just said it, and I'm not going to backtrack. You're not going to. Back- <laughs> I want to move a little bit from Jersey across the bridge to New York. <laughs> calling in the National Guard for the migrant crisis. They're calling in the National Guard, as I understand it, to help Venezuelans get jobs or something. Mm-hmm. Now, having family members in the Guard, is this really what they're trained to do? This is so insulting. It is so disgusting. First of all, I mean, I don't know why anybody's in the military anymore, considering no. you know who's in charge of it, who's killing them. And now this, it's just speechless. Did we find the jet yet? Did we? Yeah, I don't know. Did we? I don't think so. We did. It was found in a, in a uh, field in a, you know, a, not a cornfield, but some sort of uh, farm field, like 60 miles north of. Uh, Are we going to, because I said something the other day to somebody, I can't remember who, if we don't hear anything about this story, then it smells like cover up, right? Like, are we ever going to know what in the world happened? There was some interesting speculation that I read um, because this has, in fact, happened before that an uncontrollable aircraft um, after the pilot ejects suddenly decides that it, it uh, is be is controlled again or can go into controlled flight. So it's it has happened before uh, uh, three or four times. And um, one time, I think the jet flew 500 miles before it ran out of gas or, or whatever. Did this crash um, because it ran out of gas? No, it 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 did probably didn't crash after sixty miles run out of gas. Uh, one of the things is that there is a uh, a ground avoidance system when it when it gets close to the ground, it it, it pulls up and and so it probably again this is a, a speculation. It probably went into these. Um, these oscillations and those oscillations could very well have been unstable. And so it got bigger and bigger until it hit the ground. That that's one speculation by someone in the aerospace industry that I read. Uh, 
there's other speculations that um, that it it, uh, it lost roll control and so rolled because it looked like it crashed inverted. So it it looked like it rolled over and, and then lost lost lift and then crashed into the ground. So that's another speculation. Um, but uh, it's un unbelievably uh, has happened before where a pilot ejects because of some problem that he thinks is uh, uncorrectable. And, and this guy was quite low to the ground since it was right after takeoff. Um, and he might've been mistaken or he might've been true, but as soon as the balance in the plane were was changed by having the ejection seat and the pilot and the canopy all blow off the top, uh, maybe the balance changed and whatever that problem was uh, is ameliorated. So that that's the, all the speculation I read in the aerospace press over the last. I mean, you know, the, the tinfoil hats are talking about the hacking thing, but does a pilot have a responsibility to get it out of civilian areas and not not eject until it's safe? Uh, well, it wasn't over a civilian area when he ejected. It, I mean, it was. Uh, no, but I, I guess mean, aim it away to not just let it go off. Well, if you can aim the plane, then you shouldn't eject, right? That's the whole point, right? I mean, if, if you've got control over the aircraft, then no, you should not eject, eject at all. It's only when you have when you don't have control that you should object. Uh, there'll be an inquiry, and this guy will get you know this guy will get a court martial, and they'll determine whether it was. Right, but I don't think we'll ever know the truth. I think I will find it in a small box in Aviation Week one of these days, six months from now. But if you're saying it's going to be picked up by the public, no, yeah, probably not. At what, point, at what point do we think a, a Democrat AG will um, indict Trump for it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of the farmer who lost like this area yeah. this field yeah. well, because I, that that plane was purchased under the trump administration so therefore exactly on behalf uh, of the plane well, maybe on it was the the insurrection well they i see yeah. they, they were it was a j6 trump because he talked about buying a gun in south carolina and it's illegal so <laughs> Uh, that that's pretty funny. It's perfectly legal to buy a gun in South Carolina. It just has to be shipped to an FFL in Florida. No, but he's he a, he's, he can't buy a gun because he's been indicted with a felony. No, that's not Florida law. Somebody, they, South they Carolina law, supposedly. That's what I saw. Right, but he he's actually taking possession of it in Florida. If no, he it's, no, wrong, no, incorrect. Whatever. And now apparently New York, because they can't get rid of the migrants, they're trying to ship out the homeless. The, the, the watching New York falling apart in the face of the 10, 20,000 migrants, again, if it weren't so sad, would be unbelievably hysterical. The destruction of the Roosevelt, Roosevelt Hotel, the gazillions of dollars they pay these people to stay in formerly luxury hotels. I don't know. I just what would Fiera LaGuardia say about this, right? I mean, because like there's way more than ten thousand people a month coming in back in his day, and I read this. It was my one tweet of the week. It's like they're going to spend a billion dollars housing these illegal aliens in hotels over the next couple of years, and at, you know I was in New York, I guess last year now, and I walked up Eighth Avenue at night, and 
the the Americans are sleeping on the steam grates. You know, all of the homeless people are out there, some hustling, some just looking doped up, some huddled up and sleeping on the steam grates. That's what Americans get from New York. But no, if you're an illegal alien, you get a hotel <laughs> that you can stay in and a hotel room and probably three squares maybe, a day. Uh, and maybe like $2,200 a month just maybe. handed to you. The penalty for Trump over this whole fraud thing will the, be the migrants now get to take over Trump Tower. Well, that's what there I was are. thinking before when you were talking. Move them over there. Taking his property is why don't they try and do that? It's just whatever. I happen to never go into Manhattan, <laughs> so I stay relatively unaffected, but I can't imagine what it's like. Near well, what places. is it uh, like in Queens? Do you have a lot of homeless I've heard, there? I've heard that Queens has taken more migrants than any other borough. But Queens is an unbelievably large borough, as you probably know, geographically and population wise. So I am, thank God, removed from it. I may be only 10 miles from it. Well, but I, I don't think the migrants want to be near City Field and the Mets because it's been a really bad year. But anyway. <laughs> OK. All right. Um, the, the or the Jets, by the way. Or the Jets. Yes, exactly. OK. By the way, speaking of sports, one of my childhood heroes died this week. I guess I should mention it. Yeah. Number five, Mr. Oriole Brooks Robinson. The mm -hmm. only shirt I ever owned as a child was number five. And he was a big part of my childhood and probably a very decent human being. So, uh, you know what? I, I heard from a friend of mine who actually met him and said he was like one of the nicest guys that he ever got the and chance. It's before to superstars were making gazillions of dollars. You yeah. know, before they had chauffeurs and PR teams and everything else. But I, he's one of the things that Baltimore could be proud of. And there aren't no men left of those anymore. So, yeah, I think uh, acknowledged as the greatest defensive third baseman ever to man the position. Fun as heck to watch. That's for sure. Um, anything else on my side? I don't think so. What else you guys got? I, I was... Just uh, somewhat interested in in Biden. I mean, it, take, it takes so much chutzpah to be the, the person responsible for people's problems and then show up like you're the hero with these UAW workers. <laughs> I mean, it just it really, really just boggles the mind, you know, between between the inflation and this, you know, uh, quest to have electric vehicles in the next, you know, two months. I mean, these people are being hurt by Biden and he's got the, the gall to show up and act like he's their champion. It's just it's amazing. So uh, I think I saw something about Trump maybe going to rally for the, for these workers, too. You know, good for him. I think that's a great a great political move on his part. But. Yeah, unreal. Well, yeah. Chutzpah reigns, huh? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So there and, was this uh, thing in Canada the other day where uh, the Canadian parliament gave uh, a standing ovation to a person who, uh, who worked, uh, who worked, uh, you know, worked, who served in the SS in World War II um, because he fought Russians. <laughs> and well, fought, speaker fought for time, Ukraine. So. And their speaker resigned because it was really stupid. I mean, it was, it, you know, really really dumb to invite this guy in and give him big standing ovation because he was ukrainian who fought russians without figuring out you know what uh 
what unit he was in, who he was fighting for. But that gets back to what we were talking about before with Menendez. Why did he resign? There is no more honor left. Why did that's it's a pleasant surprise that he resigned. Well, I think he got pushed into it, right? By because he was a you know the speaker in the, these parliaments is supposed to be uh, non-political, but just like the speaker in the British Parliament a few years ago uh, held up Brexit, um, and uh, when he left because the the parties in the United Kingdom decide who's going to be speaker, and they kind of both put him up, and uh, obviously after at the next election, this guy was gone. And it's in the United Kingdom, it's customary to grant a position in the House of Lords to ex-speakers. And they didn't do it because he was political. And I think this guy uh, in Canada, I think they have the same system. The speaker is supposed to be apolitical. But in this sort of mistake, if he loses the confidence of both the majority party and the minority party, he's kind of got to go. And I think that's kind of what ended up happening. Canada I mean, is, they have a different system than, uh, than ours. The thing with Menendez, I mean, they can expel him, right? They're not going to. I mean, it's possible. There's no point. Has it ever been done before? Expelled senator? Sure. Yeah. So what, what's to stop them from, I mean, if the Democrats really want him gone, you've got, you're, you're halfway to two thirds, right? Which I believe is what. It, yeah, I know. But the Republicans would then vote to keep him, right? I mean that's how corrupt, I mean, could, that's how crazy could they, we are. Could they could they politically with, withstand that? I mean, don't you lose any any standing to you know if there's somebody else who's corrupt and you they should we, be. We well, are talking you, about you, Republicans now, right? <laughs> I get I get it. Listen, but uh, no, in all, in all seriousness, if 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 the Democrats in the Senate decide that they want to bring up a vote to expel him, and the Republicans don't do it. They have no no standing to, to whine about corruption at all. At that if time. the Democrats I mean, they, decide they be- that they want him gone, he will resign. That's what happened with Nixon. Everybody came to him and said, look, you're going to go. And but he, that was 50 he years went. ago. When, and he was a Republican. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, if, if he really uh, wants to buck his own party. I mean, yeah, but if, if, the, if the Democrat Party want him gone, if the Democrat Party want him gone, he's gone. He he will go because um, you know, uh, you just got to look at like Como in New York. Exactly. You know, That's when they wanted him gone, he was gone. Right. I mean, you would you would think that he would go, but right now he's not. Yeah, I don't think he's happy that he resigned either. And the truth is, I don't know what New York gained from his resigning. Yeah. Somehow, I mean, I know, Cuomo is way worse. Cuomo, Cuomo has to be sitting there thinking, "Why did I? Why did I resign?" I, I, I Cuomo <laughs> resigned. Cuomo resigned because, for whatever reason, he was getting too popular, and uh, the Obama machine went to work on him with these Me Too allegations, and they were going to utterly destroy him. And the Obama machine is much more powerful than the Cuomo machine, and so he resigned to prevent further attacks on himself. I mean, again, nobody resigns unless there's some threat against you. And so far, there's no threat against Menendez. It's also not a death sentence because... No, you can come back. Some of these politicians... I think Jim McGreevy might be running for mayor of Jersey City. So Are you serious? 
<laughs> oh, I'm serious. Yeah. Coming back, huh? Uh-huh. Now, did they avert the shutdown with they they passed certain things in Congress? Anybody following closely? It is still looking like a shutdown. Now, I, I think it won't happen, but they have not passed anything, at least when this podcast started almost an hour. Because they passed certain procedural things that they needed to pass, but that's not enough. No. In the House, right. No. We need to find another name for shutdown because it's not a shutdown. And, you know, sometimes you got to co-op these terms and okay go for it mike i I, you know what i'm trying to think of something on the spot but you know what i mean like to to kind of go along with that term and and, and what it and what it means when it really doesn't mean what it what people think it means yeah we need to come up with something else daniel what's your your word i said fraud haunt start calling it fraud haunt You know what, Daniel? I like the word, but I'll bet it works better in German. Anybody speak German? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there must be a great long word for that, and that would work. Yeah. I haven't gotten into politics in my German class. But I, but, I can't um, imagine there being a shutdown because somehow or another, they all figure out a way to screw the public at the last minute. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is um, I read a little blog post from Daniel Mitchell, who used to be, um, I think, with Cato. And I, I used to really love fo- following Dan Mitchell's stuff on the budget and stuff like that. Um, but of course, he pointed to an op-ed, I think, in the in the Wall Street Journal or something that like that. Two senators, it was Rob Portman and Kent Conrad. So you have the Republican and the Democrat, and it's like kumbaya, they're coming together. You know, oh, we can solve all our problems. And it's always just the same crap, which is... The Democrats want the revenue side up and so that the Republicans, you know, get their supposed spending cuts, which never materialize, right? And it's like, I mean, at this point, we know they're not going to do anything about any of this stuff. Right. I mean, the, the, the entitlements, all of it, they, they, can write all, they can write all the stupid op-eds they want and say, oh, my God, it's $32 trillion now. We we know it's not, not nothing's going to be done. and you know, Daniel Mitchell was, you know, showing some optimism, like, you know, we've kind of done this before where we we've had a couple of instances, a couple of instances along the way where we rein things in. You know, we had we had, uh, you know, the, the Gingrich 94 thing and we had the Tea Party era and it's like it, it can be done. Well, it was only done for a really short period of time. Yeah, where, where may, may, maybe the maybe the budget was balanced in 98 i suspect that it wasn't really uh you know at that point under clinton but we we know how this is going to happen it's just going to get mean, worse this is just, a just gigantic, going to get worse this is just a big gigantic yawn to me i i i know that lucy is going to pull the football up i'm not even trying to kick it anymore <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the, right. The Republicans don't have the guts to call it something else and properly, you know, present these issues to the public. They just know that they're going to get they're going to get creamed by the media if they are even serious about doing anything. McCarthy allowed. Look, look. The point is, McCarthy allowed the Republicans to slip in this thing where. A single member of the Republican caucus can call for a vote of essentially no confidence in the speaker. And so 
he can ignore the five Republicans who won't vote with him on the budget and go and pick up a bunch of Democrats by giving all sorts of goodies and then get it passed by the Senate. And then he'll lose his speakership. So that's the thing. It's like there is this self-interest in McCarthy's mind of being speaker. And uh, because it gives him all sorts of power and gives him control over money and gives him all sorts of, you know, control over uh, caucus members. And that's why he wants to find something that the Republican caucus can pass and send to the Senate. In the past, he would just ignore the five people and go and talk to the Democrats and work out some big deal. And there would be like 400 people in favor, 400 congressmen in favor and 35 opposed. Uh, and no one, no one would think differently because that's just the way things have always done. But it's this thing where he can, where a, spe- a new speaker election can be called by just a single member of the caucus that has him scared that if he does that, which is business as normal, he will lose his speakership and they'll put some other clown in, in there who won't be any better, uh, but then he'll control all the money and the fundraising and the so that that's the that's the essential issue. This would have been solved months ago had it been without this little uh, you know trick that the Republican caucus made him sign up to. That's it. That's the whole thing. All right. What didn't we cover that we wanted to cover? Oh, uh, we gotta cover the best burn I've ever heard in my entire life on the floor of the house where Matt Gates said, uh, talked about inflation. And he said, we're devaluing American money so rapidly that in America today, you can't even bribe Democrat senators with cash alone. You need to bring gold bars to get the job done just so the bribes hold their value. That has got to be the all-time best burn I have ever heard in my entire life. In fact, it's the, it's the best thing I've heard in like, is certainly in the 2020s, probably the in the 21st line, but Why didn't Hunter and Joe think of that? I don't know. I don't know. But that would... Well, maybe we just haven't uncovered that. I thought that was... I thought that was fun. <laughs> and again, you know, now they found this wire that went to Biden's address, blah, blah, blah. But it's, again, it's never going to move the window, right? It's, well, Hunter was living there at the time, so... That's what they'll I just mean, say. I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know anything about it. He may have not been living there at the time. I've heard that's in this case. They'll just say. I mean, it's, it's like well, it doesn't matter where he actually story. lives. That was his address of record. That's a different, you know. It'll move the needle when the Democrat Party is ready to get rid of him. Right. No. Which, again, I heard somebody, I can't remember who's saying again, that the Axios article about his falling and blah, blah, blah which is what I said weeks ago, you guys didn't agree with it necessarily, but hey, everybody could be wrong sometime, um, that the press is slowly pushing him out and the people in Washington are slowly pushing him out because they're scared stiff. So I don't know. The people who work for Biden, all of the staffers, all of those people that Obama sort of infiltrated into his group, the people who actually run the executive branch, uh, they don't want Biden to go because Gavin Newsom's going to bring in his California team, which is totally different. I'm just as crazy, but totally different. So there is institutional inertia behind Biden 
and Jill doesn't want him to go. But there are also so, people who want him out in the Democrat Party, as yes, shown absolutely. by the fact that more and more are talking about, you know, the polls and and the tripping and and like you know they're saying he, he controls all the money. Biden controls all the or whoever runs Biden controls all the money, not just the money in the United States, but the money in the Democratic Party. And it, it, it's it, pulling some sort of a fast one on him when there's, the, you know, there's thousands of people who who require Biden to run again to keep their jobs. He, he, he is not going to go down. That's um, only if he's going to win when they think he can't win. I think there is going to be a push. The problem is if they remove him from the equation before the um, convention, then they're going to have to have a primary. And what that means is that RFK Jr. is going to have to appear on stage as a Democrat, even against Gavin Newsom. And if there's one thing the Democrats absolutely do not want is RFK Jr. getting any more publicity than he already has. So it's that's another problem is that RFK Jr. is sitting out there and like, yeah, I don't know. I, I might do a third party. You know, I might do a third party, which I mean, that would be the end of the world for for Biden if if RFK Jr. does a third party run. So, I mean, they are between a rock and a hard place. They have to keep Biden. They have to. There's no other choice. What do you guys make of this uh, upcoming supposed DeSantis Newsom debate? What does that mean? That's still happening. It's supposedly happening at the end of November on Fox. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, to me that that's fraught with risk for DeSantis. I mean, uh, there's I, I don't no know upside. Yeah, there's no upside. But if he doesn't, he if he if he doesn't, if he hasn't learned in the last month, um, how to present himself and how to argue and how to be a little more charismatic. And you can learn that. You can go to classes. Politicians generally don't because they're too, again, too narcissistic to think anybody could help them. But if he doesn't learn that and he comes out tonight and is as stiff and wooden and, and uninteresting, uninteresting as he was in the last debate, then, you know, does doesn't matter. Yeah, what does and, it and mean again, and again, that, wants to get on the stage. Is that a statement? I don't even think that debate's going to happen between Newsom and uh, DeSantis. But that's just me. Well, I mean, I know I've, it's still I've, read, uh, I've read an interesting article on uh, the process leading up to um, Fox and Tucker Carlson parting ways. And one of the things on that that was discussed was a meeting where Tucker Carlson and um, Ron DeSantis met up. And, uh, and, and it was, you know, both their, their partners and them um, at um, Tucker Carlson's property. And um, I, I don't know the sources of this, but it, it seemed really interesting to me and, and, uh, and, and potentially valid with about DeSantis's flaws because um apparently at that stage um Carlson was kind of amenable to to supporting DeSantis and bigging up DeSantis which is what the Fox network as a whole went on to do and wanted to do um but there there was a a kind of um a disaster of a meeting because 
um, instead of engaging with them as human beings, uh, DeSantis went on a kind of long, boring recitation of of all his achievements, uh, which was, you know, not addressing them directly, and apparently was was kind of pretty instantly hated by Carlson's wife. And and uh, uh, one of the things that made is her hate him is that they're big kind of country people and dog people. And uh, um, there was a point at which he, Carlson's wife felt that DeSantis had kicked their dog out of the way. Yeah, I heard about the dog kick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just seemed like, you know, if wow. you were writing a spoof about a politician who doesn't really get human interaction, that's the sort of little detail you'd include in it, isn't it? Yeah, obviously they're denying he kicked the dog, but I, I did see that story. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if he does the this debate, I mean, you're running for president. You're not running for governor. And what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about their states. And yeah, DeSantis has a great story to tell there. But I, I don't know that sitting there, you know, going toe to toe about how Florida is better than California is going to do him a, a, a lot of good. Maybe in some ways it will. I don't know. I mean, there's it is part of the cultural battle. But I just I just don't think when you're running for president that it seems like a logical, sensible thing to do. You arrange an event like that as well. And it's not really saying that you oppose that person, is it? It's like because it's not a natural thing for those two figures to have their own separate debate. That, uh, that, yeah. that suggests alignment, not opposition. I don't know about that, but it's, I mean, I just don't see how, how it really does him any, any good. You know, I mean, he should be out there presenting why he wants to be president of the United States. Here are the and things and I'm if he does well tonight and, and, and improves his standing in the polls and Joe Biden does something else really horrible in the next month or two, then maybe that debate could really propel him forward. But again, he's got to do better tonight. If he doesn't do better tonight, he might as well just go back to Florida. This is it. It's almost October. Yeah. By the way, this I don't know if you saw that. I don't agree um, with that, but go ahead. Yeah, Newsom signed a bill in California that they will not ban books. Which, of course, is, you know, has to do with the schools and really all the pornography and graphic crap that they have in there that they're shoving down kids throats. So, well, I, I always wondered, like. A school library cannot contain all the books in the Library of Congress, so someone has to decide someone has to curate that collection. Because you can't have every book, right? So who gets to curate it? And of course, the statists want the state to curate it, but of course, the state doesn't know anything. So they go by the American Library Association, who is headed by black lesbian communist. She's in charge of the American Library Association. She decides what books go in what schools. And, you know, maybe the teachers have a little bit of say, and maybe the principal has a little bit of say, and maybe the, you know, state. Uh, curriculum guidelines have a little bit to say, but you know who has no right to say? 
how to curate okay. books. Parents, parents yeah. have no rights. And that's a purely, uh, that's what they think. That that's the that's the thing. It's like everybody but parents gets to have a say because all libraries are curated. School libraries are no different. Yeah. Who gets a say? And again, but it's mostly this communist in charge of the American libraries. That's who gets parents, to really getting up there reading the books that they're in the libraries and being shouted down by the the, the board people saying, "We're not going to let you read that here." It's <laughs> mm -hmm. we're so backwards, so upside down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Ed, you got your burn in. Daniel. Um, well, a story we haven't covered. That we um the, the the one that's happened in the UK uh just now is uh, another kind of cancel culture story. And it's uh, um I don't know if you guys have heard of GB News, but it's it's a fairly recent uh channel that was supposedly kind of challenging the the woke consensus on on all the mainstream channels um and so it was set up as as being more right wing more conservative more patriotic uh and they've had um that they it's the only kind of mainstream outlet that had people seriously questioning the covid policies for example um and they had a guy called Neil Oliver who's a Scottish historian who was a kind of BBC TV star uh, with um, uh, shows about history. Um, and, and he's been very good on questioning things. They had Mark Stain on, on there for a while as well. Um, but um, they they had a guy called uh, Lawrence Fox on, who's, who was an actor who's well known in the UK. And then he became political and, and started questioning things. And um, he had an interaction recently with um, uh, with a guy called Dan Wooten, who's a presenter on GB News as well, and with this uh, woman who's a uh, uh, I think her name's Ava something, who's who's a out and out you know woke leftist demagogue who um, uh, is famous for things like laughing at the male suicide rate. So she's a feminist. She's a radical feminist. And when somebody presented to her, well, if society is so configured to favour men all the time, why is it that, um, you know, there's such a high male suicide rate? Um, and, you know, when arguments like that are, are put towards her, she was basically incredibly dismissive of the fact that lots of men commit suicide at the moment. Um, and, uh, and, and she's, you know, a very unpleasant character in a typical kind of leftist feminist way. And uh, Lawrence Fox has just got into trouble because he said um, that he wouldn't sleep with her. And we, remember, we've just had the Russell Brand thing. So it's kind of lots of accusations of sexual abuse about Russell Brand and then all cancel culture with uh, MPs intervening and, and telling people like Rumble that they should demonetize him before there's ever been a trial or a court case. And then we've gone straight from that to a man getting into trouble again but this time for um, saying that he wouldn't sleep with a woman because he found her, her views offensive. Um, and of course, there's been an instant uproar on this. And uh, it's again been one of those cases of, of kind of cancel culture where like Dan Wooten's been kicked off his show, I think. Uh, Lawrence Fox has been kicked off. Um, and it's supposedly more right wing, more re rebellious towards wokeness outfit has immediately buckled. 
and sacked people on the basis of left-wing people getting offended, uh, you know, in a kind of very feminist way. Um, so it, it's, you know, and again, reflective of the, the power of cancel culture. So that's, that's the one that's been kind of uh, in the news immediately over here. What is with the Russell Brand thing over there? What are they saying? Um, again, it's, it's, it's like the, 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 the line from the mainstream media, uh, who obviously hate him as an alternative voice anyway, who was challenging their supremacy, um, that, you know, they've all pretty much looked for every story they could possibly find of anyone who's got any allegation against them. And they did things like, you know, they, they had a clip, uh, an old clip from a TV chat show where a female actress went and sat on his lap and they were, you know, running a hit piece in the Sun newspaper, Murdoch owned, saying, you know, uh, um, oh, look, she looks so uncomfortable. Uh, you know, this is this is, you know, signs that he's a predator. And the um, actress in question came out and said, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't drag me into it. It was a lighthearted moment that I was fully engaged in. So, you know, the, the mainstream media have been looking for every kind of uh, thing that they can throw at him whatsoever. Um, now, the, the majority of people uh, aren't very savvy in their responses. So you still get people who kind of ignore the fact that we shouldn't hand this power to mainstream media who are inveterate pathological liars. Um, and they'll go, oh, well, there's, there's there's no smoke without fire and there's plenty of accusations. And, you know, I'm not saying the guy's innocent. I'm saying don't hand the media that power to decide that. Um, but there's lots of people who will go along with it because they still accept mainstream media news. Um, uh, so I started listening to a brand when he had about four and a half million followers on YouTube and, and now he has six and a half. Um, and I was attracted to him, not just because he's occasionally funny, but um, he really was giving an alternative view as much as you're allowed on YouTube. Um, looking at the lockdowns, the, uh, the vaccine, pseudo vaccines and and uh, the political shenanigans in the UK, but also in the United States. And his 10 minute videos are pretty good sometimes, you know. Uh, and I, I think that um, he was just getting a little bit too popular for the people. Yeah, in the I United mean, we Kingdom. see it every single time uh, there's a, a voice that isn't controlled, um, these accusations arise. And sometimes they, they, they will be true ones. You know, I'm not saying that in every instance these men are innocent, but um, sexual allegations are a weapon of choice for the for the mainstream media and the billionaires who control media. And there were weapons the guy, because, because you can destroy someone without actually having to prove it. The guy admitted, Brand admitted that back in the day, before he cleaned up his life, he was alcohol, drugs, and he was a sex addict. And he said, he said he was sleeping with 80 women a week. <laughs> now, you're sleeping yeah. with 80 women a week. You don't have time to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, try women. and move over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are, we'll change. It's yeah, I, I, think, I, think he, I think he was the, the, the interesting thing is through all the years 
that you know it's it's channel four that that did the dispatches program where they spent years supposedly gathering evidence against him uh, and these but, but what they did in their program it was uh even if you you know th these cases turn out to be real it was a hatchet job in the sense that they hired actors to present this and the actors are acting kind of scared and you know as they deliver these these lines um and the whole thing was dramatized as a now i mean that's dodgy as hell that the media doing that to take someone down who's an opposition voice to the media now but all the period where he was supposedly um uh you know this rape there's one rape allegation i know for certain at the moment um and then there's several other allegations of uh basically coercing or uh, mentally abusing women into sexual account encounters um so it's kind of standard stuff for for these sexual allegations but um you know and and everyone would want uh, old, old historic cases taken seriously if there's something there and would want predators um punished but um the timing of it is such that that you know all the time he was supposedly doing this and behaving in a predatory manner that was the period in which the the mainstream media and the left were fating him, loved him, uh, you know, were celebrating him, uh, were praising him constantly, and were laughing about when he described his his lifestyle and his kind of casual sexual encounters, and and they were building him up as a sex symbol through all of this, and he was working for Channel Four during the period where th th these allegations derive from. So they were happy to pay him at the time. And to, but years later, when his political views change, when he settles down with a family, when he's married, when he's starting to question Big Pharma and starting to question, you know, and say things like, well, maybe there are reasons why people like Donald Trump. You know, that's the point at which the media go after him. Uh, and so even if the allegations are true, it's also true to say that the timing is based on the change in his political views. Duh. Ouch. All right, and, and Mike, got anything? Ready? All right, so uh, here's the the, uh, the big political news in New Jersey this week uh, that's of interest. So believe it or not, the sorry, pathetic NJ GOP uh, the chairman of the NJGOP attempted to do away with the June 4th presidential primary and instead have a convention in April where the political elite would vote on the delegates for president. Believe it or not, that actually was attempted to, uh, or tried this week until a couple of uh, heroic Republicans stood up to the party boss, and uh, luckily that's not going to happen. What's interesting, too, about it is it seems to me that something is was coming from above, uh, from maybe the National Party, and that obviously this is an effort to not have Trump as the nominee. That that's my read on it. Um, I don't know if there's anything more to it. The fact that it was even considered is totally just outrageous. 
Um, but luckily it's it's not not going to happen, but it just shows you the depth of how bad the Republican Party, if you can even sort of call it that here, is that something like this would even be broached. But um, there was a, a good, strong opposition to it, uh, which uh, you know I have to say I'm thankful for. There are still some people out there that are willing to fight and will stand up to their own party when it's wrong. Um, and and find out so, what's going on. Yeah, this, this I, is I, done all the time when a uh, incumbent is running. Though I, I I understand your point. I understand why you didn't like it. I'm, I'm not arguing that it was bad, but it, this is done all the time when incumbent is running. Um, and I think it's going to happen in a lot of states um, with the incumbent running. But who's the so, there's no incumbent? There's no incumbent. Trump. Trump is considered the incumbent, but I, I get you. I'm not That's saying you're wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying I, see, I didn't see any other time. state. I don't. I haven't seen any other states doing this. And plus, I know I know the history of the NJGOP, and I know Ed does too. So uh, I suspect. I suspect shenanigans. Yes, it doesn't sound like your esteem Obviously. for them has gone down in any way. So, yeah. Ed M, clean up. The one story that we didn't hit on, we hit on in these post-show comments, which is the debate tonight. And I think that the fact that we didn't bring it up just shows how irrelevant it really is. Yeah, um, that was going to be my question. Is there any relevance? Unless something really wild happens, it's going to be ho-hum, who cares? Yeah. As but. long as the Republicans are unwilling to take on Trump, for better or for worse... Trump will become the default nominee. I mean, you don't you don't beat the king without killing the king. And except for Chris Christie, they're all afraid of him. Well, Vivek is I, I, Vivek is in love with him, but are they afraid of him? I don't know if they're afraid of him. You know, I, they're afraid to to cross him. I mean, they're all. I, so I think I, I I I don't necessarily agree with that. I I, I think they're. Um, they know, most of them know, that outright slagging Trump off doesn't do well with the majority of Republican voters. Um, and they're, they're not winning any points when they do that. Um, but they they have all criticised him uh, or given very weak defences of him. Um, and, you know, there's it's not just Christie there that actually actively hates him you know I, I think there's several others there that hate him yeah i think i One think has to understand them... what the point of the debate is right the point of the debate these people aren't running for president with possible exception of of desantis these people aren't running for president they're running for positions in the you know ngo sector the, the, they're running for board of being in the board of directors of big companies. Uh, Chris Christie is running to be, you know, some highly paid, you know, consultant to a law firm or some highly paid NGO president or to be on the board of directors of various firms. Nikki Haley is running oh, to be, you know, the next WEF chairman after Klaus Chris, Schwab. Chris Christie uh, is in this just to away. go after, after Trump. 
No, no, no. He's, and, and he's not an idiot. He's not going to spend all this time I mean, and money. He already not, could be on a board and all that stuff. Chris Christie doesn't yeah, need this. No. They're all, they're all running for, to bring out their public persona. And the only one who's actually running for president, uh, I mean, Vivek is running to be in the Trump administration as secretary of commerce or something. And, and the only one who's actually running for president is, uh, is DeSantis, which is really a shame because we should really have Trump and DeSantis on the stage together. I, 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 felt, mean, I feel like I, Nikki Haley was pretty know. serious about it. I think he's not serious about anything. I think all of them, but in particular, DeSantis are trying to become Lion Ted. I mean, they are all following the Ted Cruz model from 2016 of trying to make nice to Trump and make nice to Trump voters while hating him under their breath and not being willing to say anything negative about him. And everybody knows it's disingenuous. And it's, it, I don't think it's going to work. I've said that about DeSantis for a long time. I've said it about the whole Republican field. You don't have to, you don't have to try and tear Trump down to, to contrast yourself with him. And when you're running for, for office, the first question anyone is going to ask is, well, why should I choose you over the other guy? Especially when the other guy has won and there's a lot of positive feeling about him. I mean, I'm a DeSantis guy. Uh, I still like Trump, but uh, DeSantis and, and all of them. I mean, Vivek, too. Why should I vote for Vivek? I mean, the guy is such a Trump cheerleader. I would vote for, I mean, why not vote for Trump? Why, why, why take a, a substitute when you can get the real thing? Well, so, he's not under indictment. I guess that would be one argument. <laughs> true, but politics is about contrast and Nobody is trying to contrast themselves with Trump. You don't have to. Attack I think the thing is, is, who are they appealing to? You know, the the. I don't think they're appealing to anybody. Like, you know, except, but the, you know, we assume that that somebody goes on there and he goes on a debate like that, and and is a candidate, and they're trying to appeal to the Republican voter, but these people aren't. They're they're trying to appeal to the Republican voter enough that they will get support there but their primary people they're appealing to uh, and i think ed's right here is the people who have the real power you know the people who will give them jobs and placements elsewhere and the people who might give them enough money to to be the allowed uh, republican candidate um you know if, if it's stitched up in some way and Trump is actually removed. Um, that's that's what they're and and they're you know they're trying to sell themselves simultaneously to two opposite um, buyers: the Republican voter and the globalist masters. You know, and that's that's why they are so unconvincing. Maybe. Yeah, All right, folks. I'm going to so. close the show with my wish. That Vivek should be the nominee, and Biden in a debate stage is going to ask him for coffee and donuts. <laughs> and That's a poo, Ramaswamy. A poo, Ramaswamy. And call him the B word, which I'm not going to say because I'll be in enough trouble. <laughs> With that, we'll wrap it up for this evening, folks. Great to have you back, Daniel. Hope to see you again next week. Cheers. Uh, I know you stepped very, very late to be here, so we appreciate it. And we send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Have a wonderful evening, even if you're watching the debate.